Hello, I'm Rachel Moore, President and CEO of the Music Center. As Los Angeles' premier performing arts destination, the Music Center presents some of the world's greatest performances and provides the platform for the most innovative and creative artistic minds who set the standard for excellence. On Offstage and Unbound, I have the pleasure of speaking with many of these artistic visionaries where we delve into their processes, explore what inspires them, and discuss the state of the arts in Los Angeles and the world. Today, on Offstage and Unbound, we'll hear from one of America's most esteemed choreographers, William Forsyth. Active in the field of choreography for more than 45 years, Bill's interest in the principles of organization led him to produce a wide range of projects, including installations, films, and web-based knowledge creation. Bill has had an illustrious career, first as a dancer with the Joffrey Ballet, and later with the Stuttgart Ballet, where he was resident choreographer. He became director of Ballet Frankfurt, where he created many works during a 20-year tenure. He established his own dance ensemble, the Forsyth Company, which he directed for more than 10 years. In 2015, he was appointed associate choreographer of the Paris Opera Ballet and, most recently, became professor of dance and artistic advisor to the Choreographic Institute at the Gloria Kaufman School of Dance at the University of Southern California. The Music Center launches its 2016-2017 dance season of Gloria Kaufman Presents Dance at the Music Center with Celebrate Forsyth, a distinctive program devoted entirely to Bill's choreography. In an unprecedented engagement, three of the nation's major ballet companies, Houston Ballet, Pacific Northwest Ballet, and San Francisco Ballet, were personally selected by Bill to perform these works. Bill, welcome. It is an absolute pleasure to speak with you. So let's leap right in. You have spoken about the importance of creating choreography for audiences of different levels, uh, different levels of awareness, understanding, and appreciation of ballet and dance. Mm -hmm. When you're putting together a piece, how do you incorporate that? Do you think about that when you're creating it? Mm -hmm. I think when you're making that, for, for myself, yeah, um, those considerations come in on a sort of meta level, on a big level. On the other hand, that comes in in detail. I mean, how much do you want people to understand what's going on? I've seen some things where I definitely wouldn't take a 12-year-old, you know, or a 15-year-old. And I actually have made some pieces where I said, okay, no one under 18 should be admitted because it would be a waste of a seat. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, it, it just would. It's adult stuff. Right. Topics. Right. You know. Right. So, um, but on the other hand, um, those pieces that are more accessible, I definitely want to think about building audience too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you feel uh, with building audiences that, as an adult, anybody should be able to walk in a performance and get something out of it, or uh, do you feel like they really need to have knowledge around the form? to access it. I would hope not. If you're talking specifically about ballet, are you mm -hmm. talking about mm -hmm. ballet? Yeah. Okay. Then it, with ballet, no. Okay. I think that, that the piece should already, you know, get people in. You should, at least for myself, um, I think it needs to work on a very fundamental level. Mm 
Yeah. So, but how does it keep your attention? For example, what's the rhythm of the piece? You know. And what do you think about narrative in ballet? I think narrative has been a big part of it, uh, but narrative also happens abstractly. Um, for my purposes, I teach at the school the fundamentals of narrative, which are um, once you've established something, if you introduce a change, people are, are basically asking themselves subconsciously, is this an anomaly or is it a trend? Mm. Yeah. So a theme, for example, yeah, is like, um, how do you say, uh, the, the ground layer. And so your relationship to a theme abstractly is basically narrative. How are you going to amp it up or, f or smooth it out, so to speak, adagio, allegro, so on and so forth. So all these things are talking about narratively, but in an abstract way, about mm -hmm. the theme. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that narrative as in story ballets have passed their prime, or do you think there's a future? I'm hoping not, because I'm hoping there's going to be an amazing person coming along who totally gets how to narrate in that medium. Mm -hmm. And I think Ratmansky is a fantastic narrator. I think his theatrical streak is one of his strongest points, not to mention the sheer strength of his craft. But I think he's a very successful narrator. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. And comedian, frankly. Oh, totally. He's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> he is. <laughs> yeah. So when you were, you know, when you started your career and moving on and you had been trained in ballet, did you feel it was important to start as a choreographer using the ballet vocabulary or did you want to like push away from the ballet vocabulary? I was a total bunhead. I went to see Balanchine every single night I could. The tickets were only a dollar, mm. yeah, back in the day. And you got to sit in the first ring at State Theater, for, as I said, for a dollar and I saw everything and I kept shaking my head and going how does this work how does this work and um, so I was really interested in ballet and I still am interested in ballet mm -hmm. um, what people perceive as a let's say a, a migration away from was actually trying to see how far it could be pushed mm -hmm. until it no longer functioned in any relationship to it because mm -hmm. ballet is really a vocabulary it's a, it's a language rather than, I mean, there's a history and all that stuff attached to it, yeah. but it's, it's really a language. I, it was interesting going back to Paris and after 18 years doing ballet again and going, oh, I have to practice speaking this, hmm. you know? And it's really a pleasure, though. Once you're in it again, it feels very native. Yeah, yeah. well, because it's almost your first language. It is my first language. <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing uh, an exhibition of your costumes that were both you created and also you had created. Stephen and Dorothy and, yeah, different people. When, setting aside when you imagine them, when you think of designers, what do, are you interested in in their work? What, what grabs you about a designer? What, what qualities? Uh, um, I think desi uh, helpful designers try not to use your work as um, a runway show. Mm -hmm. you know, not to promote their own brand or ideas, but rather try to really um, make the work more visible in some mm -hmm. way or mm -hmm. optically better. Mm -hmm. um, who I, I like very much is um, Janie, who works with Benjamin Millipier. This is a really 
good designer, I feel, because I always feel the dancers become visible in their mm. clothes. Mm. And and you don't you go, oh nice, but you don't you forget about them at one point and just um enjoy the amplification that they provide. Because mm-hmm. it strikes me that you could go way to one extreme where it's costume in the worst sense of costume. Yeah. Um and then the other sense that it's really unflattering to the dancer or undanceable in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm really interested in seeing people dance in their bodies. Mm-hmm. I really am. I'm, I've never been um, a person to really focus too much on, on big fancy costumes and things. There's been a trend, um, most notably at New York City Ballet, to bring uh, fashion designers into the, uh, the ballet world. And even with designers who deal in opera or stage, they have a difficult time translating what they do to movement mm. and to dance. And how did you help mediate that process with somebody who may not have uh, already worked in dance prior to doing work in design? Well, in the case with Stephen Galloway and Dorothy Merrick, I mean, they were in-house. Mm. So I was in the the atelier, you know, every day trying on. We're all going, yeah. What do you think? Yay, nay, the move around. And then we always had we had this one amazing, incredible dancer named Nora Kimball. Oh, uh, you know Nora, Nora Kimball. Nora right. was in American Ballet Theater when right. I was there. Oh, right there, you yeah. Go. And of course, every costume looked incredible on her. And then we said, okay, we're going to bring in some of the other dancers. And they, of course, wept because you know, they were going, okay. <laughs> because they know, were mere mortals. Yeah, mere mortals, indeed. <laughs> so <laughs> we realized that Nora was not, although she was ideal, she was not the ideal person to try the costume right, on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You've done a lot of work in the visual arts and um, pushing what you've done on stage into installations. When you're putting together an installation, what is it, how do you want the audiences to engage with your work, or is it different depending on each installation? Okay, all the installations are called choreographic objects. Okay. Yeah. And the majority of them actually are, I want to say sculptural, insofar as they're either devices or they're, you can encounter them physically, Mm -hmm. and they don't need dancers. What they do is provide a situation that, makes you know something about your physical self. Mm-hmm. They're like little instruments of self-knowledge. You realize you can't hold still or that your reflexes are not as good as you thought or you're not as coordinated as you thought. So it gives you like a little, like a physical mirror. Mm-hmm. And they isolate very small uh, categories of motion, mm-hmm. which I'm very interested in saying, okay, what are the fundamental building blocks of motion and do they need experts to be realized? And I'm going, no, they don't. Mm. Yeah, We use them as experts, and we build very complex structures with them. Mm-hmm. But part of this interest of, on my part of literacy for the audience, giving them little insights to, or, or getting them to take a step back from their own bodies might give them a better reading ability. Mm. Interesting. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> so in... Your career, you've used uh, lots of different types of music. Yep. Very classical to electronic. Mm-hmm. And with classical stuff that's already been composed, you sort of know what you're getting. Right. And when you're working with somebody who's creating the music, how do you work with them? That can be a very rocky road. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. And I, I think any choreographer out there who's listening to this will go, oh, yeah. Uh, com- commissions are, 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 can be very tricky. I worked with Tom Willems since 1984, up until like last year. Wow. Yeah. And I was in there in the sound studio with Tom, or, you know, every day. He was in the studio every day, mm-hmm. literally composing while we were trying things out. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's how it worked. Wow. Yeah. Huh. And um, so, so all the composers I did yeah. work with who, who did commissions worked in the, in the dance studio. Uh-huh. And, spent, and as the laptop um, right. computing got stronger and stronger, they moved then the sound studio into the dance studio. Well, given your long relationship with Tom Willems, I assume you have a shorthand now about how you work together. You must. Totally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I go like, nice. <laughs> I think that works. And he'd go, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he's very, he's, first of all, Tom Willems is a very funny person. Okay, excellent. Yeah, he has a, an amazing sense of humor. And then he'll, if I, if I say it's fantastic, he'll immediately say something hilarious that completely demolishes it. So <laughs> he's an incredibly sweet person. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. For the event this weekend with your th- the three ballets, I think it's really great because you have three different companies who all have a different voice. Mm. So doing a work of yours. And so when you when you were thinking of the companies, um, San Francisco, Pacific Northwest, and Houston, what did you think about them and your work and how they might have a different approach? Well, it always boils down to individuals, mm-hmm. right? You like the dancers. I mean, mm-hmm. I get my inspirations uh, from dancers, mm-hmm. not from anywhere else. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I have to have the dancer in front of me. And, and I get excited by their skills. Mm-hmm. The more mm-hmm. skill someone has, like, for example, I, I mentioned before this one young woman who was had this extraordinary ability to phrase and and I actually how do you say I enhanced the choreography I made it a little more difficult but made her a little more visible mm. yeah because I realized she could handle it right and she wanted something like that and I was like let's do this right now and she she was like okay good Wow. You know? So, um, and it was not easy. It was some sort of backward PK ending in an arabesque turn, whatever. And uh, she was absolutely fine with that and actually hooked it up to the music herself. Oh, I great. was afraid she would have to cut a step at the end. She didn't. She actually just completely did it for me. She edited in the most instinctive and, um, yeah, rigorous way. When you look at the companies, both Pacific Northwest Ballet and San Francisco have um, a balancing aesthetic. And Houston is much more rooted in sort of the Royal Ballet. Right, right. Um, what I find um, intriguing about they all have different styles of working in their cohesion. Yeah, uh-huh. I find, for example, that Houston has an amazing ability to be cohesive as a group. Mm-hmm. Their corps de ballet is just—I I hate using that word because it—it—it it, 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 it still reeks to me of. of less than mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. they're just so excellent as as a collective body mm-hmm. that i just cannot find enough praise for their ability to agree among themselves mm-hmm. how to do this right mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know and so i felt tremendously supported by that company spirit and cohesion mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they provided mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. works for that piece very very well mm-hmm. and then um in San Francisco, there's all these very distinct, almost quirky personalities. Mm. You know? 
um, artists like Sophia and Sylvie. Mm. Now that is an extraordinary creature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she will again, like the one in in Seattle, um, parse things at an incredible, how do you say, uh, in, in incredible detail, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, has a very distinct approach of her own. I found that San Francisco had that very distinctive thing. In uh, PNB, there's this company musicality that mm. is in their molecules, and that piece really needed that. And they have just a bunch of super musical people. Many choreographers um, like to revisit their work, and um, some will tweak. Some, it's actually an iterative process over years. Mm-hmm. Um, with almost wholesale changes. How, how, how do you describe yourself? <laughs> I think you're talking to me, right? <laughs> so, well, Analex, I brought Monsky, same thing. Yeah, I think so, because what happens is you acquire skill. So when I started Artifact in 1984, obviously I didn't have the skill I have now. Mm-hmm. Just the simple craftsmanship that you need. Ballet is, uh, choreography is craft, too. Mm-hmm. I said mm-hmm. 90% craft, yeah. So... I can do now the things I would have loved to do, have done then. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think, hey, why not? It's, I'm, I'm alive. You know, people say, you're changing. I've said, I'm alive. You know, <laughs> I can. Uh, so uh, Pop Parts, I made it the first time, and Misha uh, Baryshnikov came back after the show, and Trisha Brown, and they went like, unbelievable. And I turned to my wife, and I said, what did you think? And she said, yeah. <laughs> uh, she said you can do better and uh, so i put that on the shelf for a while for about 15 16 years and i looked at the video again and i went oh i can do better than that mm-hmm. Interesting. And, yeah and so when i went to san francisco now i said i'll uh, you can have the ballet but only if i can change it mm-hmm. give me the time to change it so i changed about 85 percent. wow incredible in 10 days i was like okay wow. boom yeah so you know, uh, since I've, I've worked with various choreographers and worked on various pieces of choreography over the years, and some people have an approach that a dancer is simply a vessel of their choreography right. rather than an individual. And, you know, Balanchine was famous for changing the choreography depending upon the dancer that was in front of him. Totally, yeah. So, so you know, so that is your... Completely, ch- yeah, changed for teachers. I went to San Francisco last week and changed pop parts for them. I changed the section in Houston for the ladies there. I altered something. So, um, I think... Part of the beauty of our profession is that it's a living profession. It's mm-hmm. alive. Mm-hmm. And I think that this little moments of just re- creation, it's not even recreation, just creation are what keep what keeps things alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's interesting looking at the Balanchine uh, legacy yeah. that there are dancers whom he worked with that now fight over what is the, the version. version. I even have that now. I don't know if they fight, but I know that um, they have differing versions of some of the works, and I beg to differ sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, when you think about legacy, when, uh, you know, 100 years from now when you're gone, how... Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> so, have you thought about how that's going to be mediated on re- the repetitors taking those works 50 years from now and staging them? Super great question. Um at one point, there was a discussion of, of in the middle, somewhat elevated. Mm-hmm. It's been very widely disseminated, to say the least. And someone at um, the gallery where I work um, 
mention, is it possible to sell ballets as works of art? Mm. Yeah. And, and we went back and forth about what it might be worth and so on and so forth. And I said, the most important thing would be if you would sell this as an object would be to provide, use the money to provide the most extraordinary documentation ever done mm. of a ballet. Mm. Going in with, you know, uh, oral histories, mm -hmm. um, the versions, mm -hmm. how you do it, uh, close-ups of the hand grips, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. everything. Um, and providing almost like a, a, a huge documentary um, work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and, and if, we, if we all had our way, I'm sure it would be great if a lot of works could be, you know, taken Recorded. care of that way. But it requires a huge amount of money. Right. Uh, back in the day, people used notation. Lab notation and a lot of money. I studied was spent. lab notation. It's tough, but yeah. there would there would be choreologists on staff, and incredible amount of time and effort would go into it, but very difficult, right? I have a hilarious. They were doing oh, a tutor piece at <laughs> and, and Joffrey, and at one point the choreologist is going, and you place one foot in front, and then the other in back, and the other, and the the woman, the dancer, looked at her and said, "Do you mean Chenet?" <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. But literally, it was like such a giant fail. Right, you know right. I mean? But, you know, when you talk to people about video, you're capturing not necessarily the perfect performance, right? Because no performance no is perfect. perfect. No. And so you need to have some additional materials to be able to record what you really wanted, right? Yeah, it's really interesting to watch. Uh, I, I was every day in Paris, I was get on the elliptical machine, you know, mm -hmm. warm up, and I'd watch theme and variations uh, and, and serenade and uh, I'd, I'd watch Gelsey and Tyler Peck. Oh, interesting. And you can see like really significant changes in the choreography. So I said, what's the deal? And they said, oh, we have options. Uh, you can do the assembly there and not as a susu. Oh, really? And, and so Gelsey's version and her version are actually, if uh, choreographically, I find dramatically different. Yeah, well, both and stylistically equally. completely. Different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're both attempting the same structure. Yeah, but these little choices of nuance and and attenuation and so on and so forth. So it was really, really delightful to watch that sort of wow. historical process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, Does when... that make me a bunhead? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> to good. Totally. Okay, totally. I just want to make sure you're, I'm still in the club. Uh, <laughs> I think it's one of those um, you can't leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> once, you, once you put it up, it's yeah, up. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. up. Um, you know, looking back at your career and then coming back to Paris Opera Ballet to do yeah. the ballet, yeah. you know, when you think about the journey, yeah. uh, how was that for you to come back to do ballet, ballet? It was great. Um, for years, I practiced non um, or asymmetrical or I would say polycentric counterpoint. Okay. So the counterpoint wasn't in these big sort of uh, almost military formations, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and it was this very complex counterpoint because I was trying to work on a subject of dancers are fundamentally musical. What do you do after Balanchine, right? He's a musicologist, the best there is in the business. So what do you do? Okay, I thought, well, without musical dancers, Balanchine couldn't have been musical. Mm. Yeah, it seemed to me. So I worked with dancers and i made the music actually secondary mm -hmm. it ba basically became like a, a soundtrack to a movie in a way 
And the dancers only focused on making musically timed structures between themselves, mm -hmm. like a string quartet would. They functioned like independent um, chamber ensembles. Mm -hmm. And so I worked on that. And then when I got to back to very structured music, it was really fun and really easy because mm. that other stuff mm. is super hard, hard to right, make work. Right, 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 yeah. right, right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was nice. So sort of wrapping up, I was thinking about the performance this weekend and how you had put together the evening. What's the arc of the evening? How do you want uh, people to go on that journey? Actually, the arc goes backwards. Hmm. It goes from the most recent piece back to the piece that actually established the whole Frankfurt epoch there. But is there a, an emotional journey you want people to go on, or is there? There is, a... there is in a certain way. Um, oh, of course, there's all these different textures, you know. And there's, all, I would say, that pop arts has a lot of um, contemporary textures. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Vertiginous is a, a delightful wink and nod at the divertissement as a mm -hmm. genre, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and also the. Um, the demands, the Olympian demands that are put on dancers. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I, I was telling you before, I had this revelation in Paris going, our practice is Olympian. Mm -hmm. There just are no excuses made. And it requires extraordinary skill. Well, yeah. and it's Olympian also in that to train for the Olympics, you need to forfeit your childhood, to mm -hmm. train your body. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. give up a lot in that respect. Really and do. and I don't know that a dancer would think that they're sacrificing per se, uh, but they make different choices in their life to yeah. pursue something they are passionate about. Yeah. But certainly in ballet, um, you have to dedicate your physical life to that craft from a young age and every day yeah. for a long, long time, much mm. like a ice skater or a gymnastic uh, competitor or... A runner. I mean, they yeah. they have to be fully, and I think that for many people, they understand that, and I think it's just coming to the realization that dancers are equally those athletes. Yeah. Um, I think one of the great privileges you have as a choreographer is to honor that, mm. to honor all that love they had to muster to make this work the way it works for them. And mm -hmm. for, Yeah. It's, it, it is not a given. This is not a matter of fact that, that people can do these things this way and that well with that much focus and care and devotion. And I, I find that very moving, actually. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I tried to, uh, for example, Plake Works in Paris just now, I tried to honor the work and the work their teachers did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Honor those people before them and the people before them who loved it just as much as they did. So, final question, what's up next? What's up next? Well, <laughs> <laughs> in, in ballet. In whatever. In whatever. Artistically. Okay. I have, so I have, um, so a, not that vacation. But I have a lot, <laughs> a, a, a lot of stuff in the visual arts. Uh -huh. A whole bunch of stuff. Um, I have an opening in Istanbul this, this couple of days, and then I had an opening in Berlin the other night, um, uh, another place in Spain, um, working in Philadelphia Museum of Art, um, Armory supposedly coming up, something else. I have a, um, a lot of stuff uh, in that field, yeah. And is there something that you want to accomplish in the next five, ten years? Um, I like being part of the big conversation. Mm. I'd like if I could be an ambassador for our field, mm -hmm. meaning what the the 
choreographic thinking or perhaps as a choreographer as a, versus a dancer, uh, if I could just make people in other domains that are very discursive and very rigorous realize that we are equally discursive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. It's just a question of, of how the information is portrayed. And mm -hmm. so maybe I can find other ways to portray the information that, or the kind of knowledge that we possess um, to make it or to illuminate it for other disciplines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Great. Well, thank you so much. This You're was wonderful. You're very welcome. My pleasure.